Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 24th, 2017. On today's show at the water cooler, I'll talk about visiting Not Scary Farm for the first time ever. And uh, because there's just no news going on, we're going to be going through Chris Evangelista's uh, top 10 movies of all time. Uh, and joining me today on the, sh- on the show is Chris. How's it going, Chris? All right. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, last night, I visited Not Scary Farm for the first time. Do you, do you have any idea what that is? I know of it. I've never been there, but I'd love to go someday. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these theme parks do it, around holiday Halloween time do this kind of like a Halloween version. I talked uh, the other day about uh, Disneyland does Mickey's uh, Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. And right. uh, also, I've talked previously about uh, Universal does their Halloween Horror Nights. And it's kind of like more like that, where there's a bunch of mazes that you get to enter and be scared and um i didn't know what to expect because i haven't i've been to knots many times knots is kind of like you know uh <laughs> not 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 the when you're going to southern california to go to a theme park you know it's the third theme park on your list really? uh so um it's not the the number one theme park that you look forward to uh but i've never been to their uh scary farm and i'm impressed they actually outdid Universal Studios in a lot of respects uh having a lower budget and not having these, you know, huge movie IPs. Uh I just want to mention two of them and I'll have an article on the site next week uh comparing all three events. Um but uh the thing the things I was amazed at the most is there's this maze called Infected and you were equipped with a, a machine gun Everybody's equipped with a machine gun, and it's kind of like a laser tag machine gun. And you are basically, you enter a, uh, you know, a zone infected by zombies. And you're escorted by, like, a team leader who's, like, a, you know, military persona. persona. And uh, there's, like, a downed helicopter. There's, you know... uh, smoke and what you know you know just zombies coming out of the darkness and you got to shoot them and when you shoot them you know they they actually die and your your gun counts it as a kill so it's like a it's like a a real life first person shooter 
and you're running through this and you're going from like street level to like you go down into the uh into the metro line and you're on the train and it's it's so much fun like wow yeah uh a lot of fun sounds sounds very elaborate (laughs) It, it was extremely elaborate i was so impressed at how much uh production value was in this thing and at the end of the thing you get to see how many zombies you killed and my girlfriend Ketra beat me by doubling my score so i'm not good at killing zombies in 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 if zombies take over the world i will be hiding behind her um (laughs) another one of the cool mazes uh the second i just want to talk about is called dark ride and it was basically themed after like it was a uh, dark ride, yeah, you know, like one of those rides that you sit in a vehicle, like Haunted Mansion or something like that, but it has been broken down and, you know, not been used for years. And basically the, the these hellish clowns have taken it over. And uh, it, it was just a lot of fun for a, pers- a theme park fanatic like me. It was it was fun to be to walk through this thing that's set up like, you know, it's a broken down theme park ride and uh, to have all sorts of evil, crazy clowns jumping out at you from all sorts of uh, different respects. And oh, and the, the last other thing I wanted to say is um, walking around these parks like Halloween Horror Nights and uh, not Scary Farm. Uh, they have these things called scare zones, which are basically like the general areas that you're walking through to get to the next ride or maze. And it's usually like they have people in costumes and masks like coming up to scare you. And I've always been impressed with uh, Universal's, but wow, Knott's does it better. Like the characters, you know, talk and they really do some crazy. Some of them have like these. I don't know what they what it is, but they have these these costumes on them that they can basically run and jump in front of you, and then sparks go flying from their like feet and stuff, and it's it's really uh, scary and crazy, and I, I highly recommend it. It's actually a pretty cheap ticket comparatively to uh, Disney and Universal. Uh, and again, next week I will have an article rounding up all three events and telling you what is better at what and what I enjoyed overall more. So you'll have to look forward to that. But let's get to our feature presentation, what everybody is here for. And that <laughs> is uh, to hear Chris's favorite movies of all time. Whenever we have um, a new writer come on staff at Slash Film, we always have them post their top 15 movies. Uh, the fo- top 15 favorite movies, I should say, because maybe this isn't your top 15 movies, but it's your, you know, your favorites. Um, yeah. And uh, usually it's a good indication to give uh someone an indication of your personality and film likes and dislikes and maybe even tell you something about uh this writer chris uh so let's start in uh, on the site we have all 15 you can go to slashfilm.com readers can read it read it all we're just going to go to the top 10 so if you want to read you know 14 through 15 i mean uh, sorry 11 through 15 go to slashfilm.com we'll link in the show notes but let's start out at number 10 haywire why why is haywire number 10 uh it's (laughs) yeah so as you said this this list isn't necessarily what i consider the best movies to to ever be made but these are the films that i love the most and and haywire it's a a steven sodenberg film and i don't even think it's steven sodenberg's best movie but it's so much fun it's i don't know this is one of those movies i can literally watch pretty much any time, literally any week I could watch this movie. And it's just this, it basically, it's the type of movie that people like Chuck Norris and Jean-Claude Van Damme used to make in the nineties. 
but it's done as sort of like if someone took that idea and made it into an indie film, it would be haywire. And I just sort of love how how silly that idea is, but it's played completely straight. And it's I don't know, it's a it's an exciting film. It has some of like the best fight scenes I've ever seen in a movie. And you know, Soderbergh isn't typically an action director, but he directs action better than most action directors now. So I just sort of love this movie. It's 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 a lot of fun. You know, this is one of the only films on your list I have not seen yet. So uh, oh. it's a shame on me. I'm going to have to add <laughs> this to my letterbox uh, must-see list or much-wash, whatever they call it, um, and uh, definitely get to this. Um, yeah. I don't know why I've been putting it off. Steven Soderbergh, for me, has been very hit or miss. You know, he does a lot of experimental kind of stuff that uh, either connects or not connects with me. Um, right. So uh, for some reason or another, I, I think I saw a trailer for this and it, I wasn't super excited. But your description of it makes me interested. Yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, a film I haven't seen in many years is The Conversation, and that's number nine on your list. Yes. Uh, why, why is that number nine on your list? So, again, um, like I don't even think this is Coppola's best film, the Francis Ford Coppola, but it's the one I connect with the most. It's this very low-key uh, – very it's i want to say slow but it's deliberately paced and he made this between the godfather and apocalypse now so it's sort of like these two big epic movies and then he has this very small personal film and uh gene hackman is just so good in this playing he's a surveillance expert and he's kind of a jerk and he's just (laughs) like he's you know he's not your typical movie hero and um but he's you know, he's this very paranoid surveillance expert and he accidentally records something that he thinks is going to lead to a murder. And the whole movie is him basically trying to figure out if he's, you know, overanalyzing it, if it, you know the murder is really going to happen, if he can prevent the murder. And I don't know, this, there's something about this movie. It's very sad and melancholy. And I, I tend to gravitate towards movies like that, make of that what you will, but there's something about that that I really like. And especially for Coppola who makes, he tended to make, he doesn't really make movies anymore, but he used to make very big sort of movies. And this is very small for him. And that's sort of what I really liked about it. Yes. Um, is Coppola not making movies anymore? Because he made that very experimental film Twixt a few years back, right? That's that's true. He made that, and I don't like that at all. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I, I, I tend to block that from my memory that he made that. But yeah, that's sort of like the last thing he's made. He hasn't made anything in a while. It's funny how people like Coppola and George Lucas have kind of taken the uh, reverse route of the normal filmmaker, where they're in their later years creating the 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 you know, experimental film school movies and their earlier years were creating the big blockbuster epics. Yeah, it's true. It's like the complete reversal of what happens now where people start small and they work their way up. They literally started within the studio system. Yeah. Um, Number eight on your list, Roadhouse. Uh, Oh, yeah. This is actually surprising. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I I wouldn't picture you to be a person who had Roadhouse in their top ten. So what, oh, why, why do you like Roadhouse? I feel like if you don't like Roadhouse, there's something wrong with you. That's that might be a weird thing to say, but like Roadhouse is so much fun. It's it's like the the like the primordial trash movie. It's it, like you, you know what? We, we should probably explain what Roadhouse is. Uh, I'm not sure if people 
most people out there would have seen Roadhouse at this point. So Roadhouse is a it's a very 80s film where Patrick Swayze is the world's greatest bouncer. Basically, like everyone in the world knows what a good bouncer this guy is. And people (laughs) people come from far and wide to recruit him to be their bouncer. And uh, a guy comes in and says, you know, he runs this bar and he says, I need you to help clean up my bar. So Patrick Swayze, he, he packs up, he moves to this this small town, and he 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 cleans up both the bar and the town. It's almost like a western, but it's a very eighties western where he's cleaning up the town, and everyone's got big hair and acid wash jeans, and it's it's so stupid. There's like there's nothing in this movie that's that intelligent, but I I just love how fully committed it is to its dumb idea, and uh, it's just great, and it's. It's surprisingly like violent at times, like in ways you wouldn't expect where Patrick Swayze is literally like ripping people's throats out with his bare hands and it comes out of nowhere. And I don't know. I I just remember I, I saw this movie after hearing about it in like a joking way where people would just joke about how trashy Roadhouse was. So I sat down and watched it and I was just, I was blown away because, you know, sometimes you hear about movies that, you know, that the the so bad it's good movie and i was expecting something like that but i legitimately enjoy this film i don't enjoy it in like this ironic way i really <laughs> love watching roadhouse and uh going from one patrick swayze movie to another patrick swayze movie number seven on your list is point break which i yes. hope our listeners would have seen but uh and if you haven't seen it and you saw fast and the furious imagine a better version of that directed by kathleen uh, Catherine Bigelow. Than, exactly. Yeah. With surfers. And uh, yeah. Right. So uh, w- why is Point Break on your list? I mean, why why wouldn't it be? But exactly. Yeah. And sort of um, <laughs> Point Break is sort of the opposite of Roadhouse, whereas it has a du- it seems like a dumb idea, but it's actually a really smart movie. I mean, it's as smart as a movie about, you know, bank robbing surfers can be where and Catherine Bigelow is such a good director. And this is this isn't her first movie, obviously, but it's one of her earlier films. And she directs the hell out of this thing where every scene is just made with this precision that very few filmmakers can match, let alone top. And it's just, it's this high octane, high adrenaline. Uh, it's, it's almost like this subversive love story where Keanu Reeves character, he's this FBI agent undercover and he's really drawn to Patrick Swayze's character, who's this, he runs this, you know, bank robbing ring. And in my write-up, I compare it to The Master, whereas you have Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix's character drawn to Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in that film, but it's like it's this destructive relationship. That's sort of what Point Break is. It's like The Master, but with surfing. That's how, that's how I describe it. Um, how did it take, you know, uh, 25 years for the public to fall in love with Catherine Bigelow. Um, I mean, like, I feel like we should have saw Point Break and, like, it should have just happened right away. It's so good. She's so good, and I, I wish she would make more. I mean, she just had Detroit out, and that was her first movie since Zero Dark Thirty, and that was such, such a long gap. Like, it's it's straight. She's the only female director to win a Best Director Oscar which is which is for one I mean one level that that speaks to how messed up the the Hollywood system is because she should have been the first one but yeah. the fact that she is and, and it doesn't sorry go ahead. and I was going to say not only that she beat out her ex-husband right uh James Cameron who had Avatar 
um, that right. year. All right. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's, it's weird that she doesn't make more movies. I wish she would. Then again, I guess it makes them more special that, you know, she makes only one every few years. So I, I'm hoping, I mean, I don't think Detroit really did that well, but I'm hoping she has another film sooner rather than later. For sure. Number six on your list is a Stanley Kubrick movie, but it's not the Stanley Kubrick movie I would be expecting on your list. It is Barry <laughs> Lyndon. Uh, why? Which one would you expect? The Shining? Is that? Yeah, maybe The Shining. I feel like most people gravitate towards The Shining or A Clockwork Orange. Um, Barry Lyndon, I don't really hear that in a lot of people's favorite lists. Um, personally, I'm not a big, uh, you know, period uh, kind of. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of this movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, I love The Shining. I love Clockwork Orange. But for this, this is my favorite Kubrick film. Um, I'm not I'm not going to say I'm like huge into period movies, but there's something about this movie. It's just this is gorgeous. Oh, it's uh, beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it's very slow paced. And I'm not always on board with a slow paced film. But if a film can like wrap me up and pull me into its world. I'll be okay with it being slow and long. Like this is one of those movies, even though it's long, I, I honestly wish this were longer. I could watch this movie all day if I had to. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe because it's not really about, there's not really one plot line. It's really just about this guy who's, you know, he's really a failure and he just fails upwards basically into high society. And He's not likable at all, and he's not likable in that roguish way. It's not like you know we love to hate him. He's just kind of like this simpering jerk. But I love that the film is just about that. It's about this guy failing upward in this gorgeous painterly way. I love the way it was shot, where the cinematographer shot the whole thing using natural light, so every shot just looks almost like like uh, i don't know supernatural in a way it doesn't look like a normal movie oh, for sure uh speaking of beautiful films number five on your list is terrence malick's the new world um why why is this in your top five movies of all time right so this is uh this is my favorite malick and um this is sort of like the last film he made that actually has a plot where he <laughs> Like after this, he he went fully into his you know uh, poetic, meandering sort of films, and you know I know people people love those some of those films, and I don't dislike them, but this for me is like the epitome of what he can do when he's actually telling a story because it does have those you know those moments where it you know it's it's very poetic and it's very uh, abstract, but it also is about something and this is just a, a gorgeous movie it's you know it's a hundred percent historically inaccurate i i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna argue for the case that any of this happened the way it's told in the story but i love the way it unfolds i love the performances um the last uh the like the ending of this film pretty much like destroys me emotionally it's it's, it's about i don't know if people don't know what it's about it's about the story of pocahontas and john smith and it's it almost follows like the same story as the the Disney film, but it's done, you know, not in the same way. But, you know, the ending of this film involves Pocahontas coming from her home you know, in America to England. And just the way the film presents that with her out of her element in this you know, whole new world, it, it like takes my breath away. 
Um, number four on your list is a film that is definitely in my top like 25. Um, it, it's uh, one of David Fincher's best, and that is Zodiac. So why, yes. why is Zodiac your number four? Uh, Zodiac is another one of those films I could watch it over and over again. It's very meticulous. It's very detailed. Uh, Fincher is obviously, he's a very obsessive filmmaker. And I think this is his best film because it's about obsession. Like of all his films, this is the one that deals so directly with obsession. And I like it because it's, it was presented as this sort of serial killer thriller. I remember when this came out, there was a lot of like disinterest in it because people didn't realize what it was like it was sold you know david fincher the director of seven he's making another serial killer movie but that's not really what this is this is more like it's like all the president's men but it has a serial killer and i i I like that i like that it stops being a serial killer movie like it's like almost three hour movie and i'd say after the first hour it stops even being about a serial killer and it's more about one guy played by Jake Gyllenhaal, his obsession with trying to figure out what's, you know, who the killer was. And I, I, I like that it's, it sticks really true to the facts. Like it doesn't subvert them. It doesn't go for like a happy sort of ending. It, it sort of ends on this note that, you know, you know, <laughs> even if Jake Gyllenhaal's character may have figured out who the killer was, the killer still got away with it. And, you know, there's no real resolution there. There's no like, uh, catharsis, if you will. Do you think that's why this might not be one of the most well-regarded David Fincher movies? Like, I feel like I don't hear a lot of people talking about this one as their favorite David Fincher, but I think it probably is his best movie as a whole. I agree. I I don't think he's he's yet to top this. Um, and I I do think that it's it's a hard sell because it, you can't really sell it as a thriller. You can't really sell it even as a mystery because even though it has mystery elements in it, the mystery isn't really what it's about. It's about the obsession with the mystery. And it's hard to sell that to, you know, uh, the average moviegoer because you can't really package that. You can't really say, oh, this is a movie about a guy obsessed with something like no one. (laughs) You need to give them someone, you know, you give the audience more than that. So it's hard to sell them on that. Plus, it's long. People don't like, you know three hour unless it's like a superhero movie they can sort of get on board with that but a movie like this it's like a drama people don't really want to sit through nearly three hours of that some people i do i'll sit through that if it's good but some people don't go for that and i love how fincher you know even though it's not a superhero movie it's not you know this huge budget uh epic but uh it has a lot of hidden cg and i know fincher released like this behind the scenes uh maybe it was a feature editor doc on the DVD Blu-ray that kind of goes to show, you know, all the work that got done uh, with, you know, computer generated backgrounds and, you know, cameras that are completely CG that you wouldn't expect. Um, It's just um, a masterwork of art uh, of, of invisible, you know, effects. Right. I love that. I love movies where, you know, even though this is like an effects heavy film, but you wouldn't really know it unless you watched those special features. So I love that. I love that Fincher is able to employ those techniques in a, in a not really showy way, yeah. even though he is sometimes like a showy director. He does it in this very subtle sort of way. Um, if, if you have seen if you haven't seen this movie, I would say see it. If you if you have seen this movie and haven't seen that documentary 
go find it, you know, put your DVD in the, in, in the old player and check it out because it will give you a new appreciation of just how much work um, was put into that film. Uh, number three on your list, uh, Brian De Palma's Blowout. You open with the sentence that Brian De Palma's Blowout is cinema. <laughs> yes. So uh, one strange thing I've discovered ever since I've been, you know, sort of started covering movies and, be, and you know, joined the the film Twitter uh, bubble is some people seem to not really realize that m- movies are a visual medium, which it sounds bizarre that people don't realize that, but they don't. And it, like movies, you know, I see a lot of movies. I'm sure you see a lot of movies. We all see a lot of movies. And I I. I've become sort of jaded to like point and shoot films where a director doesn't really realize he's directing a movie. Like he'll set up his cat, you know, they'll set up their camera, they'll point and shoot. And you know, that's it, you know, medium shots cutting back and forth between people. Like a lot of indie movies do this now where, you know, there's no, sorry, I'm I'm going to say something that is probably going to get a lot of people pissed off me, (laughs) but, um, I really love the early work of, you know, uh, Darren Aronofsky and Paul uh, Thomas Anderson more so than their later work because it is so heavy on style and so heavy on visuals. And I feel Ah. like they have cut down on that and have kind of gone minimalistic in their approaches. And I, I kind of wish we would return to the days of the more stylish, um, versions of those filmmakers, but yeah, go on. No, I agree. I mean, you know, sometimes there is such a thing as like too much style, like say, you know, Michael Bay, where it's, <laughs> it's, it's almost, it's, it's hitting you over the head, but De Palma, he's one of my favorite filmmakers because he never succumbs to that point and shoot sort of way. He always realizes that he's making a movie and, you know, otherwise, you know, the way I look at it is if you're not going to make your movie look like a movie, it really shouldn't be a movie, you know, go direct a play, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're, you know, if you're putting it up on the screen, I want you to, you know, do something, you know, you have to impress me in some way. And De Palma always like pulls out all the stops. And I think blowout is the best example of him working with a good script because sometimes he'll do, you know, great style, terrible script. Whereas blowout has a really tight, concise script. It's got great performances uh, John Travolta is really good in this. This is probably like his best performance of his career in this the, movie. This might be another film that people haven't seen. So can can you explain what Blood is about? Right. So John Travolta, he's a he's a movie foley artist. He records sounds for very low budget, cheap horror movies, basically. And one night he's out recording nature sounds. But he's at a park and he's recording the sounds, and he he becomes an ear witness to a murder. He records audibly records uh, a car driving off a bridge into a lake and the car was driven by a a presidential candidate and it turns out that this was actually a presidential or not presidential but a a political assassination so uh there was a woman in the car with the candidate and travolta was able to save her but not the, the the driver of the candidate and so the rest of the movie is travolta trying to basically piece together the crime and figure out who the assassin is and uh i don't want to say more because it'll get away but and so so why is this your favorite de palma film i mean it's i i just love this it's so well made it's so tense it's really twisted like i I don't want to give away the ending but it ends with this incredibly 
bleak note and it's done in this almost comedic way about how bleak it is and then i don't always like a bleak ending but it works really well on this it's also it was shot all over philadelphia and i'm from philadelphia so something about that really like you know i want to call it hometown pride because i don't you know i'm not like super into philadelphia but just like the way it shows you all these locations that i know exactly where they are there's something about that that really appeals to me I, th- I think everybody has that a little bit. You know, I, I'm from Massachusetts, just out of Boston, in a little town called Natick that has a mall. Uh, nothing's been shot in Natick, but uh, actually a little piece of uh, that Jason Reitman movie with, uh, uh, what was it, Young or not Young Adult, the one after Young Adult. But anyways, uh, no one cares about that. Uh, but whenever a movie is shot in Boston, there is a certain pride in seeing a piece of you kind of on screen. Right. Right. Um, and De Palma, I also want to say this. I, I've been a longtime fan of one take long tracking shots. And Brian De Palma is one of the first filmmakers that would really, uh, I want to say make use, but almost abuse <laughs> right. um, that that technique. And nowadays with digital filmmaking and the fact that you're not burning money uh, <laughs> having film running through your camera lens and you don't need all that expensive uh, you know, as much expensive lights and stuff like that. Y- y- you see now Netflix TV shows, everyone's doing like a tracking shot and stuff, but right. De Palma was the master before that was a thing. Right. Yeah. Um, number two on your list is definitely in my top 10 and that is a Steven Spielberg film. Which one? This is E.T. The extraterrestrial. Uh, one of the, one of the, tr- the struggles I had with this list was I wanted to keep it, one film from one from each director. I didn't want to have multiple films from one director. And I, I could have filled up this list with uh, a dozen Spielberg films because Spielberg is just one of my favorite filmmakers. He's one of the first people, you know, when I was a kid, I realized what a director was from Spielberg. But of all his films, this is the one that gets to me the most. I mean, I, I love Jaws, but Jaws doesn't get to me on like an emotional level. Whereas this film, even now, as I get older and more jaded and more bitter, this film, this film still speaks to me. I mean, the, you know, the, the scene with, you know, where ET makes you know, the kids are trying to outrun the, the government agents and they, the, all the bikes take off at once. And John Williams, score kicks in just even like thinking about that now still just gives me like chills. That that's like, that to me is like movie magic. Like that's it's emotion in a bottle. It's, it's yeah. And I'm glad to hear that you're willing to put a film like this this high up in your list because I feel like a lot of uh, film nerds have kind of taken a cynical eye to Steven Spielberg. Um, I mean, I, I know that uh, – I don't know. I just feel like he is – I mean, I guess maybe in the public realm he is still the biggest director of all time. But I feel like uh, in this film Twitter bubble, he's kind of uh, been taking down a couple notches. And uh, yeah. I, 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 I still think he's a master. And some of these films are, you know, it's my childhood on film, even though I never, you know, obviously had an alien or took off on bikes over the moon, <laughs> you know, it captures it. It's true. I, I don't I hate that that in that, like you said, that film Twitter uh, genre where people just sort of think they're sort of above Spielberg. And I hate that because, you know, yes, he does. He hasn't always made, you know, deep intellectual movies. Although I'd argue in like the 21st century, his films have only gotten deeper and darker, but 
he understands like the language of cinema better than pretty much every director working right now. Like very few directors know how to tell a story just with visuals the way he does. And so I feel like if you want to act like you're above Steven Spielberg, you're, you're like kidding yourself because he knows exactly what he's doing and he does it better than pretty much anyone. One filmmaker we haven't mentioned until right now is Martin Scorsese. And if you're going to pick any Scorsese film, it better be Goodfellas. And it right. is. So yes. why, why is Goodfellas your number one film of all time? Right. So, uh, you know, I, I say in, in the, the list that, you know, I had watched, you know, I'd gotten into films at a very young age. And but up until this point, I saw Goodfellas probably when I was seven or eight, which is probably too young to see Goodfellas. But <laughs> I sh- wait, wait, did you do, how did how did that happen? So Goodfellas, my, my father was very Italian. He was very into all things Italian. So and that included mob movies. And so, you know, I, I'm sure that's a stereotype, but he was very into anything having to do with Italians. So. Basically, he sort of insisted I watch Goodfellas with him. So I did. And even at seven or eight, whenever I saw it, it opened up this whole new world to me. Like this was the first time I realized movies were more than just, you know, moving pictures. There was something about this film, the way it moved, the way Scorsese combines, you know, you know, the music and the editing. And, you know, there's that famous tracking shot where they go you know, through the basement of the, I forget the, I think it's the Copacabana. They go through the basement and the camera just stays on it. And even now, you know, many years later, I watch that scene, that particular scene, and it blows me away. Even after seeing so many other films do tracking shots like that, it's, it's incredible the logistics of it because the camera's always moving. It's always going down these halls and, and it's incredible. And, just a great movie overall. Uh, I know it should be said that tracking shot is storytelling. Like it's it's all storytelling. Like that's not just style for style's sake. You were you know it tells you so many things about you know this person, this situation, and the power of being a gangster in that era. Exactly. Like a lot of movies now, they'll do tracking shots, and you can tell they're just doing it to be like, look at how cool this tracking shot is. Whereas Scorsese is actually using it for a reason. And I don't know, I, I, it's not just a tracking shot. It's just everything in this movie clicks with me so well. And like I said, this was like the first time I realized what, you know, the art of movie making was when I saw this film when I was seven or eight. <laughs> you said your your father showed you a lot of mob movies. Why did you become attracted to Why did you choose this? Over, I'm sure he showed you the Godfather trilogy or Godfather films. He did. I don't, I don't, I can't really put my finger on it, but I just, this is the one that always stood out to me the most. I mean, you know, the Godfather is a great movie. Godfather two is a great movie. Godfather three is okay. Um, but this, <laughs> this is the one that really, uh, just, so, so we, we, we need, to, we need to find the person that thinks Godfather three is the, the best movie of that trilogy and have them write an unpopular opinion post. For I'm sure someone, <laughs> someone out there probably likes it. I don't think it's as bad as some people say it is. It's not like, you know, a terrible movie. It just has, it's not as good as the first two. Yes. And, uh, and it features Sophia Coppola as right. a, uh, one of the main characters of the film. And she's really, really bad in the movie. <laughs> yes. She's a great, great director, not such a great actress. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. 
Well, right. you can read all of Chris's uh, entries, his top 15 on SlashFilm.com. I will link it in the show notes. Um, but it, it is, uh, you know, if you haven't seen any of these films, or if there are films in this list that you have not seen, please add them to your watch list. Uh, yes. This, this is good, uh, you know, this is a good diet for any film fanatic, um, even if these movies might not make your top 15. Oh, no, hold on a second. My girlfriend ordered an iPhone 8 and someone's at the door. I'll be back. Okay. Okay, okay I am back. Okay. Uh, iPhone signed for, uh, so now she has her iPhone. That's good. Nice. Um, I should also mention, before we go, that yesterday I was on a, in a rush to leave to go to this nuts Scary Farm event, and I poorly edited the podcast and there was a, a little bit of a hiccup where people were talking over each other and it was totally my fault we published it to the feed and uh you know 30 minutes into driving to uh to uh orange county california i you know got a bunch of tweets and emails to, <laughs> alerting to me of this problem and thankfully this uh ios 11 update came out this week and on my phone, I was able to access the audio files recorded for the podcast and email them to Ben, who was still at home, and he was able to edit them and put up the right podcast. Uh, so only about 500 people got to hear this horribly <laughs> edited version of the <laughs> podcast, but Apple did save it, and I apologize to the 500 people, but uh, m- the majority of the listeners heard the correct podcast yesterday. Nice. Um, Yes. Anyways, uh, Chris, where can we find more of your work online? Uh, well, I'm um should be every day at slashfilm.com, and I'm I'm out there. Just look for me on Twitter. Just search Chris Evangelista. You'll find me. And uh, are, 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 are you the only person with that name? <laughs> Probably not on the planet. I'm sure. So, <laughs> I'm sure there's there's at least one other one out there right now. But uh. No, I'm, I'm always yeah. curious because, like, there's there's none other on, like, Facebook or something, probably, I would assume. Not that I know of. No, I, no. I think there actually is, like, a a saxophonist who has the <laughs> same name as me. But So if you find someone who's a saxophonist, that's not me. I'm the other Chris Evangelist. <laughs> well, yes, you can find me at Slash Film uh, on Twitter. You can find all of my work at SlashFilm.com. Uh, you can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Overcast, uh, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, subscribe. Tell your friends. Rate and review. Uh, help spread the word because, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this for free. We're actually not even doing this for free. We're, we're losing hundreds of dollars a month. <laughs> I mean, a week rather, uh, doing this because, you know, we're paying people to do this and there's no ad revenue. Uh, we, we, we look forward to one day monetizing this podcast, but probably not for a year or so. So uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, we appreciate all the emails you've been sending to peter at slash com, And uh, we hope you have enjoyed this and we'll see you tomorrow.